Okay, so our Bible reading this morning comes from Leviticus 23, 9 through 22, and Acts 2, 1 through 13. So before I read uh, the first passage in Leviticus, I would like to make note that there are two uh, feasts appointed by the Lord to the nation of Israel, the first one being the Feast of Fruits, and the second one being the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is also known as the Feast of Pentecost, so keep that in mind, and please hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priests shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen, and you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought this offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave for them the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And the second reading is from Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Hear the word of the Lord. As we come to God's word, let's pray. Father, as we open up the scriptures now, we acknowledge that all scripture is God-breathed. The words that have read come from your very throne. That these are not just information. It's not just being passed on. That you granted us the scriptures that we might hear them as coming from your very mouth. And so, Father, we do pray that you would pour out your spirit now. That you would cause us to hear your word in the way you would desire it to be heard. Lord, that you would enable me to share it in the way, preach it in the way that you would have it be spoken. And Father, we know that your word will never return void. And so, Father, we pray that you would be at work now by your word to do that which you would accomplish amongst us for the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Last week, we joined in with the wider church in sharing together in what is known as Ascension Sunday the Sunday that is closest to the 40th day after the resurrection when Jesus ascended into heaven. Today we join with the wider church in remembering Pentecost Sunday. And so across the world today, Christians will be gathering to remember what took place when the Jews had gathered from around the world in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Pentecost, which is also called the Festival of Weeks which occurred 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, which we'll turn to shortly. But these festivals are very important. If you have your Bible, let's just dive straight in and turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter Now, if you look at Leviticus chapter 23, you'll see some headings and you'll see there are seven festivals that follow the Sabbath. There's verse 4, the Passover festival and the Unleavened Bread festival. Then you'll see the First Fruits festival, the fourth one, the Feast of Weeks, then the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. They are the seven festivals that come together. 
And God gave Israel, his people, these festivals when they were gathered at Mount Sinai after he had rescued them out of slavery from Egypt. And God made it very clear that the Jews throughout their generations were to remember all seven festivals every year. And that was very important because as we are starting to see, as we've already considered the first two, these festivals are prophetic. God was teaching his people something and having them looking forward to something. The first four festivals, each of the festivals, all seven festivals actually occur in sort of two groups. If you look again, you'll see the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits and feast of weeks actually occur at the time of the spring harvest. And so sometimes they're called the spring harvest festivals. The last three occur during the time of the autumn harvest. And so these festivals are located around two great harvests. And prophetically, they do point to two greater harvests or ingatherings, which God would accomplish. The spring festivals were fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. The great ingathering of the first coming is the Great Commission, where God is at work gathering men and women into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, you'll remember these words, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. At his first coming, Jesus sent his disciples out into the world to preach the gospel so that men and women could be gathered into the kingdom. The autumn harvest festivals are going to be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. After the parable of the weeds, this is what Jesus said in explanation. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. God says that, Jesus says at the end of the age, God will send his angels throughout the world to gather people in, to conduct a great harvest and either they'll be gathered into the kingdom of heaven or into the fire of hell. Two big harvests. And so this morning we're going to look at the festival of Pentecost or the festival of weeks, which is the fourth festival that ties in with the spring harvest festivals. If you see in front of you Leviticus chapter 23, the spring harvest festivals begin with Passover because we can't get to the festival of Pentecost without Passover. The Passover lamb was offered as a substitute to take God's wrath in our place. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He bore the wrath of God in our place. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been crucified. Second, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leaven in the Bible is a sin, symbol of sin. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he fulfilled that festival as he took our sin away, making us holy before God so that we could live holy lives. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. 
And then Passover and unleavened bread is followed by the festival of burst fruits. And if you look down to verse 10 of Leviticus 23, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. And that was to take place on the day after the Sabbath. And that was fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, which was the day after the Sabbath. He was raised as the first from among the dead of the coming age. 1 Corinthians 1.20 tells us, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which then leads on into the festival of weeks. If you look down to verse 15 and 16. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf for the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, counting off 50 days, up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain of the new harvest to the Lord. And so Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, celebrates the harvest, the gathering in. Pentecost is a Greek word, and it comes from the Greek word for 50. And because it was 50 days after, that is why it is also called the Festival of Pentecost. So with your Bibles, let's turn now to Acts chapter 2. And what we're about to read took place about 1,500 years after we just read what God gave Israel at Mount Sinai. Everyone had come to celebrate the festival of Pentecost 50 days after Jesus had risen from the dead in fulfillment of the festival of first fruits. And as we read now in Acts 2, we'll see God fulfilling the festival of Pentecost as he launches a mighty harvest, a mighty ingathering of souls that is to reach across the earth to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that ingathering, the Great Commission, was only possible after Jesus had been offered as the Passover lamb when he was sacrificed on the cross. By being sacrificed on the cross as the Passover lamb, Jesus could bear the wrath of God for sinners so that they could have their sins washed away, so that they could be made holy or unleavened, so that they could be raised from the dead, so that they could be gathered into the kingdom of God. Jesus' death and resurrection paved the way for this harvest to be launched. No cross, no harvest. But praise be to God that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that we now can share in this ingathering. And so let's look at what happened. Again, history. Verses 1 to 4 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. First they heard something. That sound of that great wind filled the whole house, yet there was no wind. 
The sound of that rushing, mighty, weighty wind was the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven. Then they saw something. The Holy Spirit manifested himself in tongues of fire that separated. And they saw it as he came to rest on each of them. And after hearing something and seeing something, then something extraordinary happened. They all began to say something. Miraculously, each of them were unable to speak in other tongues or other languages. No language lessons needed. The Holy Spirit gave them that ability straight away. What happened next? They left the house where they were in and went out into the public. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one then, each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. If you were to stand on a map and to be able to stand on Jerusalem, all those places reach out around Jerusalem spreading down into Africa, across into Asia and up into Europe. People from every nation essentially were coming. And during this festival, God enabled the disciples to miraculously and immediately speak in the native languages of all these places. No matter where they had come from, they heard these believers speaking their mother tongue fluently. A few of us are gathered here today it would sort of be like we had people from around the world meeting with us today that didn't know Jesus and suddenly Clint could speak fluent Mandarin. Sam could speak fluent Spanish. Warren, fluent Russian. Kevin, fluent German. Myself, fluent Arabic. Bryony, fluent French. Julie, fluent Korean. Sandy, fluent Thai. Megan, fluent Japanese. It's extraordinary. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. But that's what happened. These people came from around the world and suddenly these disciples from Galilee, often by calling them Galileans, they're having a bit of go at them because they're the people from the country. They're a bit slow. They're not educated. And suddenly they're here and they can speak in these languages perfectly. And what were they speaking about? Verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What were those wonders? Essentially, Peter goes on to explain to them what these wonders are as he returns to speaking in Hebrew again. As we sort of trace our way through Acts chapter 2, we jump forward to verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. And these are the wonders. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter preaches that Christ was crucified. They were telling these people from Media and Mesopotamia and Cappadocia that Jesus died. But then they explain that Jesus rose to life again, verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Peter explains that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. God had said all these things would happen. Move down to verse 30. But he, that's David, was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And just above this, you can see a section of a quote which comes from Psalm 16. That's what Peter's referring to. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. The resurrection was a fulfillment of prophecy. Then Peter explains that they were eyewitnesses, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. And then they explain that they were witnesses to ascension, to his ascension, verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God. And then they explain that Jesus has poured out on the, the Holy Spirit just as he said he would. Verse 33, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And all this comes together, all these wonders come together. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel and all of us this morning be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In all these languages, wherever people came from, they had the one gospel message. Jesus died. Jesus rose. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They were eyewitnesses of his ascension. And now they are personally experiencing and proclaiming, on account of it, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. which is all exactly what Jesus said would happen. If you turn with me back to Luke chapter 24. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then his sequel is Acts. And so Luke chapter 24, verse 44. So Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus said to them, that's his disciples. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. To all nations, you are witnesses of these things. And verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city, in Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
And so the disciples had stayed in Jerusalem. They hadn't just rushed off to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, wait until power comes from on high. The culminating thing as they preach these wonders is that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And why is that message so important? Why is it so important that people at every corner of the earth hear that Jesus is both Lord and Christ? Because we need to be saved. If we're back in Acts chapter 2, Peter says this to the crowd in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The clear implication being, if you do not call upon the name of the Lord, you will not be saved. Which means each of us in that state without calling upon Jesus, are in a state of condemnation because of our sin. The second and final harvest is coming. When we need to be saved, God will send his angels out into the world to gather people up into either heaven or hell. And to be saved from the condemnation of our sin, to be saved from hell, we need to call upon the name of Jesus And all that has taken place as those festivals have been fulfilled is making clear who is the Lord upon whom we must call. It is Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, they make that very clear. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We shall all come before the God on the great judgment day. And the only way we can be saved is if we realize that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Christ, that we need to make our peace with him. We need to belong to his kingdom. And as people heard this, what was the outcome? This happened next, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The gospel message is a saving message. In verse 31, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Starting at 120, by the end of the day of Pentecost, they were roughly 3,120. That is a great harvest. That's extraordinary. That is a work of God. So having looked at what happened, what can we learn? Scripture says we've got to keep watching our life and doctrine. So let's consider what these events or this event teaches us and God willing how these truths will change our lives. And so the first clear and plain truth is that the church is to take the gospel to the nations. There's a harvest out there and God has sent his people out into the world just in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, at Jesus', at Jesus ascension, he said, verse 8 of chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And just in case they didn't get that clear that they had to tell the gospel to Gentile people, to people who don't speak Hebrew, God on that day enabled them to speak in all these Gentile languages. And not just to have a conversation, but to proclaim the wonders of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for Jews and Gentiles, for the whole world. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus Christ poured out the Holy Spirit to launch, to empower a great ingathering that is to reach to the ends of the earth. In His grace, He's reversing essentially what took place way back at the Tower of Babel. After the flood, men and women of one language gathered, united against God in their rebellion. God divided them and He scattered them throughout the earth by making them speak different languages. But now, in His grace and mercy, on account of the cross of Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, He is reaching out in grace, proclaiming the gospel to the nations, reaching out to rebellious men and women from every nation under heaven, that they might repent and come back to the King and be gathered together as one people under one Lord. And this great harvest, this great turn began at Pentecost. It's been going on ever since. And as a church, this harvest began with the apostles at that day and then it was passed on and passed on and passed on. It's for the church. The Great Commission does not stop. And so as a church, are we taking our place in the harvest field? Individually, are we considering the harvest that is ready out there? Are we hearing Jesus when he says the fields are white for harvest? As a church, there's a harvest that we are to engage in. Secondly, this harvest is not to be done in our strength. This harvest can only be done in the power of the Spirit. When Jesus died, his disciples went into hiding. They were filled with fear. After his resurrection, they saw Jesus face to face. They spent 40 days with him, but that too was not enough for all of them. We read at the end of Matthew, it's in Matthew chapter 28. Keep your fingers in Acts 2 because we'll keep coming back there. But Matthew chapter 28. Because sometimes we can share the gospel or think to ourselves, all we need is the resurrection. If I just understand the resurrection, if I just agree there was a resurrection, that's enough. But in these verses, verses 16, Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them. And then we get verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There was still stuff going on in them. They were still trying to piece things together. They were not ready with the resurrection alone to take the gospel to the nations. Even though the resurrected Lord had given them that command, go and make disciples, he knew they needed some help. And so he said they must stay in Jerusalem, as we read in Luke 24. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. For God's people, for the disciples, for the church, for us to go out into the world to gather in a harvest, 
We need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles, emboldened them, essentially made them unstoppable, whatever they faced, to keep pressing on. Just over 50 days earlier, Peter had been asked by a little servant girl, are you a disciple of Jesus? And big burly Peter the fisherman said no. He was afraid. Just over 50 days earlier, Jesus died on the cross and he said, just as he said he would, but Peter was in hiding. And now Peter rises up in the city of Jerusalem, boldly and unashamedly proclaiming Jesus. When just over 50 days earlier in that city, the city had risen up to say, crucify the Christ whom he was proclaiming. Where the powerful religious leaders had plotted and murdered Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter was fearless to stand up in front of the peoples who had said, crucify Jesus. He was willing to give all the glory and honor to Christ at whatever the cost, that Christ may gather in all whom he has purchased for God with his blood, people from every tribe and language and nation. And these disciples didn't stop in Jerusalem. They went forth into the whole world, willingly laying down their lives for Jesus. This harvest we're involved in is not passive. This harvest fights back. It's resisted by the devil. The harvest we do is setting captives free. It's a spiritual battle. And so we need to cry out to God to pour upon his spirit to us in the same way that we might be emboldened and encouraged and strengthened to go and face whatever comes, not shrink back, not stay in our houses, but to go forth. Thirdly, I believe we should also pray for this outpouring unto revival. Essentially, Acts 2 is this mighty revival of people coming back to God. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear. No one can say Jesus, Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. But the outpouring of, by Jesus, the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost was not just the outpouring which Jesus does to every Christian when they are saved. All believers, anyone who trusts in Christ the Messiah, requires the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they would always be blind. Otherwise, they could never be born again. Otherwise, they would never have new life. But what we see that happened here on the day of Pentecost is actually repeated just two chapters later. At the end of John, in John 20, we see Jesus sending his disciples out and breathing out the Holy Spirit upon them. That's before Pentecost. In Acts 2, which we've just looked at, the Spirit was poured out and they became bold. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Even after this incredible Acts 2, day of Pentecost experience, Peter and John had been arrested. Then they were released and the believers are gathered again inside. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. That's Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, the Jewish leaders, all who resist Jesus. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, 
the place where they was meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was for a war, a spiritual war, that God's people could advance into the world and lay claim to those who are Christ to gather them in. We should pray that God might do the same amongst us here in Armadale. Pray that God's Spirit will be poured out upon His church, that we would desire the very things that they're praying for, that the desiring that God's name would be glorified, that we in the churches would desire that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed and lifted high, desiring that people around us would come to Jesus. Peter had no idea the day he preached that 3,000 people would come to know Jesus. You go back through the revivals and consider the men who preached, they had no idea what would happen. And so let's pray that God might work the same thing in our city, that God might pour out his spirit upon his people and upon this town and across our nation, that there might be a revival again. Fourthly, preachers and us, we need to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit when we share the message. Peter just preached Christ, the faithful message, the simple message, and he left the harvest, the results to God. So much is happening today, it seems, in the church, whereby we are trying to do a harvest through our own human reason. We're using apologetics, which have their place, to try and reason people all the time to becoming Christians. We're using music to draw people into church because they'll have a nice experience, and on it goes, over and over, pragmatism is replacing prayer. Pragmatism is replacing real dependence upon God. Pragmatism is replacing the sense of the supernatural, the reality of the supernatural. The battle belongs to the Lord, but we keep thinking we know how to do it. There's a vast difference between a Peter filled with the Holy Spirit preaching Christ and someone who just prepares a prayerless message and shares it. And so let's pray that those who preach and we as we share the gospel would do it as men and women who are full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, when we believe we receive the Holy Spirit, but that it's our desire that God's glory would be manifest through us, that we wouldn't just depend on pragmatic ideas, but we would fall on our knees and plead with God to save those around us that we'd fall on our knees and ask God to give us the courage because the preaching of the word is a supernatural event. And when you can depend on the supernatural power of God, you become courageous and unashamed and you can preach the basic gospel, the plain gospel, the true gospel without being embarrassed or needing to defend it. That Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God as both Lord and Christ and that he is coming to judge the living and the dead. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Judgment is real. And the way that Peter does in Acts 2.40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. It's not uncommon for preaching today that is regarded as gospel preaching has nothing to do with warning. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
We need to preach as the gospel in the power of the Spirit. Only then are we really being faithful harvesters. And then we see, like in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, if you turn to 1 Thessalonians, a little bit to the right, Paul was a man who made it quite clear that his preaching was probably dull and a bit monotonous. But he preached faithfully and he preached completely and thoroughly seeking to depend upon God and unashamedly. And he depended upon God to do a work. And so he gets to a place like Thessalonica, he preaches the gospel, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, the church in Thessalonica, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with the power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. That is what we need to depend on today. That is the gospel that leads, that God uses, by which people are born again. We need to be regenerated by the Spirit the spirit at work in the person sharing the gospel, the spirit at work in the hearer. Will we be faithful to harvest the way God has called us to harvest and preach the gospel depending on his spirit? And finally, let's pray that we can each take our place in the harvest. Just try, want to finish by bringing it home a little bit and being trying to be more personal. May we pray, Father, I thank you for giving me the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you gave me a new birth. My eyes were open to see Jesus. Thank you that he is now a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing my inheritance. But Lord, I don't want to live each day for my glory. I don't want to roll on through life. I want Jesus' name proclaimed. I want people to be gathered into the kingdom. I want you to be glorified amongst the nations. Lord, when Israel tried to advance in Canaan in their strength, they were beaten back. But when they went with you, when you went before them, they could advance. Lord, I am weak. I am timid. Please use me, the weak, to silence the strong. Please empower me to be bold at work, at school, at home. Please embolden me even to go to the nations. In my strength, I am powerless. But Lord, your word says, not by might nor by power. Because we know, Lord, if that's what I depend on, I can do nothing. But Lord, by thy spirit. Thy spirit is the one that can embolden me to speak the name of Jesus even unto death. It was a spirit that came upon David to go and face the giant Goliath. It was a spirit that empowered Gideon to take on a mighty army. It was the spirit that gave Samson the strength to take on the Philistines. It was the spirit that empowered the gospels to the apostles to take the gospel to the world. And through history, again and again, it's been the spirit of God that's empowered and given men and women the courage to take the gospel to the nations, even to cannibals even into persecuting countries where Christians are persecuted. 
We know those experiences of people at work, at home, or in our own family that we, we start trembling at the thought of telling them about Jesus. May it be our desire to tell them and so pray as the Christians prayed. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us the courage to be able to share the gospel with them because only if they call upon the name of Jesus will they be saved. I find it hard to believe that if we were to be a church that prayed like that, crying out to God, give us the courage. Lord, we want to live for your glory. We want people to hear your praises. We want people to know that Jesus is the King and the Christ. I find it hard to believe that God would not pour out his spirit for, upon us, that we can go forth and declare his praises. There's a great harvest. It's a glorious harvest. And if you've called upon the name of Jesus, you're part of that harvest. And so the challenge for us this morning is, will we take our place in that harvest and seeking the lost? And the Bible tells us only when this first harvest is completed will the second harvest come unto eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have not left a world condemned in sin, but you have called out upon this world, that Jesus, you came as our Passover lamb, that you died, that we could be forgiven of our sins and made holy, that you, the first fruits from the dead, were raised, that one day we could be raised up. Father, we are weak. Father, we know what we are like in the flesh. But Lord, as we read your word, as we move through history, we see that the power of your spirit upon your church to proclaiming Jesus is real. And so this day, Father, we ask that you would work amongst us, that we would be a people who gather together and pray together, calling upon you. And Father, in faith, we await the day when you shall come upon us powerfully and we shall go forth and proclaim Christ. And Lord, we ask that the day would even come when there would be a revival in this town where hundreds, even thousands, Lord, might know that Jesus is Lord and cry out, what must we do to be saved? And so, Lord, please, may your spirit be poured out here to bring conviction of sin, knowledge of your righteousness and of the coming judgment. Lord, help us to depend upon you alone and to preach the gospel, the plain, simple, biblical gospel and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.